Mother Tongue, a space for the voices and the stories of mamas. Because it takes a village to raise a mama. mamas and welcome back to the motherfly podcast i wanted to start off just by acknowledging that i have been away for quite a while that i kind of dropped off on my episodes and so this this episode is called where the fuck i've been um and basically as as many of you know i have been struggling with my mental health since the birth of my third daughter six years ago now. And so I have these waves of very disorienting dips into depression and anxiety, followed by periods of euphoric passion and immense creativity. And it sort of felt similar to the contractions and expansions of labor. And you know, as a midwife, I tend to relate relate everything to birth. It's just such a great metaphor for so many things that we navigate in life and particularly things that have a a transformational quality to them. So about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, I, I fell into one of those dips and that was when I kind of stopped doing the podcasts and I came out of the dip a couple months later after traveling to Hawaii with uh, my my beautiful daughters and it was just incredibly nourishing and and really helped to fill my my adventure cup and my my freedom cup Um, but when I got back I, I had all these ideas of other projects and put my attention in other places and didn't return to the podcast until now so I intend to be a lot more consistent. I'm not sure if that's going to be, you know, a monthly thing or uh, every two weeks. I feel like every week it's probably going to be too much for me. And I'm really in this place of wanting to shift my pacing, uh, really wanting to kind of fight back against the patriarchal, like, rat race, hamster wheel, dizzying pace that we find ourselves caught up in so often. I think one of the gifts of the pandemic was that we actually got to slow down and step out of that for a bit. And, you know, this organization, Motherfly, is really the name of an archetype, what I like to call the the new maternal archetype. And so it's a very sharp pivot away from the martyr and the supermom archetypes that were really steeped in in patriarchy, you know, steeped in this never-ending quest to be enough and in that, you know, always feeling like we have to be doing, we have to be producing, we have to be productive, we have to schedule out every moment of our days and, um, and I really 
deeply feel that we need to step away from that for our own health and sanity and 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 so what I learned or what I yeah what I learned in one of my dips in the last year was just like I need to just you know find a sustainable pace because yes I do have lots of interests lots of passions lots of things that I want to help midwife in the world but you know nothing is served by doing it at a pace that is going to burn me out and deplete me and and have me land back in that you know that dip into despair and burnout and hopelessness so i want to actually begin each episode with a little a very brief grounding just to help us come into our bodies i feel like embodiment is is totally essential in our mothering path and in our humaning path and um, it only takes a few moments to kind of shift where our attention is so whether you're listening to this as you make dinner or as you fold laundry or clean or um, or drive <laughs> or whatever way that you might be multitasking um, as we do as mamas I invite you if it's safe for you to do so to just take a moment and close your eyes and take a nice deep breath in all the way into your belly and as you exhale just allowing all of your attention all of your awareness to come back into your own body so just imagine that you're sort of drawing it all in to your center all of your awareness all of your attention most of the time as moms our attention is outside of ourselves it's focused on other people and their needs and their desires and so as you begin this listening to this podcast I invite you to make this time about you and so just really tapping into your body in this moment noticing where you make contact with the floor noticing what kind of tension is living in your shoulders or your neck or in your jaw or maybe it's in your belly or maybe you're having a day where you feel really fluid and relaxed so just really noticing what's alive for you in this moment and asking yourself the question what am I feeling what am I feeling in my body right now and what am I needing and instead of searching in your mind for an answer just really move into a place of listening of receptivity as if you could open your inner eyes and listen with your inner ears and see what your body has to tell you about these two questions what am I feeling and what am I needing and when you receive your answer 
if you receive an answer because we've spent so much time in our heads and with our attention focused outward that we may not know what is happening inside of us. Our body might not speak to us initially and that's okay. Just keep talking to her. Just keep asking and listening. But if you did receive an answer, you might want to just make a mental note or jot it down. And then just taking one last sweeping, cleansing breath. And as you exhale, opening your eyes. So I want to share a little bit in this podcast about where I've been and um, and that's connected to my my third daughter to Amaya's birth because her birth opened up something in me that changed the nature of how I see myself and the world and my purpose you know and even her pregnancy it was so different from my other daughters she was my biggest baby and my longest pregnancy and she had the most hair at birth of any of my children actually that's one of the things I remember most about the moment that she came out of my body and was on my chest was just her hair it was so thick and rich and felt like it had conditioner in it (laughs) and I just stayed in that moment for a while just feeling her hair and still not knowing that she was a she and my mother kept saying "Well, what is it what is it and I didn't want to know yet <laughs> so I waited and um, and she she also gifted me with a full five months of nausea vomiting and heartburn which you know I always get morning sickness in my pregnancies but it never lasts that long so that was different so I was really sure she was a boy with everything feeling so different and then I went a week late quote-unquote and I found myself in that funny place where you know logically that with each passing day you are closer to meeting your baby but viscerally and emotionally the feeling is that you're gonna be pregnant forever that you're just never gonna have this baby and that your body has somehow forgotten how to give birth and then it happens right in my case I got a little acupuncture boost from my mom and Amaya was born the following evening and when I woke up the next morning I was having some cramping and saw some of my mucus plug and I got excited but then I tried not to get excited because I'd had an episode of contractions just several days earlier that were very consistent for several hours and then just fizzled out. Um, So I spent my early labor doing yoga and painting my belly cast and and then I went for this magical swim in our pool and it was really the first birth where it felt more like pleasure than pain. It felt more like just powerful sensation. I remember it feeling like there was this energetic circle um, in, you know, around my uterus, like a sort of this like vice grip, but, but I was trying to think of it more as like a, like this just intense, intense, um, energetic hug. And, um, and then Kevin and I went out into the pool 
and I had this incredible experience of just floating and having him support me just with his fingers at different pressure points. And it sort of felt like shiatsu um, or watsu, like in the water. And it really helped me to just surrender and just kind of melt into the water. You know, that element of water is so fluid and relaxing. And even though the water was cool, it really helped me to just to melt into it. Um, and we watched this incredible storm roll in. When we went out there, it was it was sunny with a few, you know, cumulus clouds, and then the whole sky just darkened, and it just this huge storm came rolling in, and it started to rain, and it was amazing to be in the water with the rain. But then I saw some lightning was coming and got out, <laughs> and I went back into the the back cottage which was my prenatal office at the time and it's very spacious so I had the birth pool set up there and you know it was it was really amazing to to have this experience of it feeling more pleasurable than painful that is until my water's released and then you know it shifted into that bone crushing tissue splitting sensation that leaves me completely nonverbal, or at least no words, sounds, but no words. And I always forget about the intensity of that until I'm back in it. So, you know, it was magical, it was raw, it was primal, it was soulful, and it was brutal in the end. <laughs> but that period was brief, you know, in the larger scheme of, of my labor and in most labors. And it's, it's in that liminal space between the surrender of opening and the more active effort of birthing that we get to find ourselves, we get to find our true strength. It's this sweaty, shaky, bloody, nauseating place where we tremble and we moan and we wonder if we were really made for this. It's not a comfortable place but I feel like it's, it's truly is a necessary place. Transition really shows us that what we're capable of and it pushes the edges of our capacity and um, the edges of our identity. No matter how many times we've given birth or no, ma no matter how we end up giving birth. And that's why birthing people often feel like they're dying because a part of us does die and new parts are born. And this happens every single time we birth a baby. And then the work of postpartum is to rest and replenish and slow down enough to get to know our babies and to, know, and to get to know ourselves again and to notice that we are both in the midst of a developmental process, right? We, we tend to understand and accept that our babies are going through this critical developmental stage, you know, in that first year of life in particular. But our bodies, our hormones, our brains, our emotions, our family dynamics, our family structures, and our social networks are all changing because we are also in a developmental process and we are going through a massive shift in identity. And this unfolding is known as matrescence. And some of you have heard me use this word before, 
for others it might be a new word. It simply is a word that refers to the process of mother becoming. And if we know this, if we know that we're in this process and we can trust it, we can rediscover ourselves again on the other side. But it can be long and treacherous and it can be ugly and messy. And that has really been my work through what has felt like a harrowing cocktail of postpartum depression and anxiety, midlife awakening, perimenopause, and dark night of the soul kind of all wrapped in one. So Amaya's birth forever changed the tra trajectory of my life in very challenging but transformative ways. And the six years that followed have brought me to my knees more than once. <laughs> so when I hit a dip, I tend to retreat into my shadow cave. You know, you won't see me much on social media or in your inbox or on this podcast. And instead, I, I shrink into what feels like the smallest, safest version of myself because everything else feels like too much and feels way too scary. My last dip started in mid-March and lasted until about the end of May. And just days before my, my second annual Map for a New Motherhood Summit and my middle daughter's birthday, I, I felt that shadow creeping in again. And I told myself, like, not now. I can't afford to dive deep right now. There's way too much on my plate. But the shadow kind of chuckles and waits for no one. And <laughs> despite my best efforts, I fell once again into what I refer to as the great chasm. And it just feels so crazy to me that every time I am in that place, which is now so familiar to me, I always feel so lost. Even though I've been there before and I've gotten out, I feel like it's, I'm never going to get out, that this is it, this is the end. So I tried to look at the triggers. There was the stress of putting on my second annual global summit, mostly on my own, and the fact that my Facebook ads were not delivering as they had the year before, and so attendance would be less than what I wanted and what I expected. And this had me spinning into my I'm a failure story, plus the frustration of having put so much time and energy into the interviews. And yes, I love, absolutely love doing them. It is truly a labor of love, but you know, I wanted it to reach people. And um, so, yes, I knew I, I can and I will repurpose them for this podcast, but that didn't shift how I felt in the moment. And then there was layers of relationship loss. I've been feeling like Inanna in the story of Inanna's descent, who's asked to give something up at each turn, at each threshold of the windy labyrinth into the underworld. And for me, it's been that it's been a relationship that I've been asked or been forced to leave behind at each threshold. And so at that time in mid-March, the latest and greatest was that my was my love partnership, um, which was falling away, as well as a dear sister midwife friend. And so I was heading back into single mamahood and just the thought of what that entails was enough to send me spinning into overwhelm. So now all the 
caretaking, all the meals, all the cleaning, the bathing, the laundry, etc. was on me. Plus the stress of who's going to take care of my girls when I have to run to a birth. And then there's the grief of loss, which is exhausting. And piled on top was everything else in my life. Planning for the summit, planning for the retreat. I held my first uh, mother's retreat in in uh, Roatan, in, off the coast of Honduras. So I was planning for that. And Jade's birthday party. I was dealing with broken appliances because we had this crazy electrical thing happen in the house where like most of our appliances were blown. I was taking care of birth, taking care of clients and attending births. I was filing my taxes, renewing my driver's license, and on and on. I felt super disorganized and sloppy and all I wanted to do was crawl in a hole and sleep for nine months at least. <laughs> but so, as so is so often the case in these dips, I was not sleeping because I had so much anxiety. So I tried to deepen my breath, to do my yoga nidras, to stay present and extend compassion to myself and keep a sense of humor. But I was failing miserably. And it's the overwhelm of just feeling like there are too many moving parts that gets me the most. I want to tidy everything up. I just have this urge to like tidy everything up, get everything organized, put it into nice, neat little boxes and tuck it away. But instead I feel like I'm standing in front of an overstuffed dresser. That's like all crooked and wobbly with the drawers cracked open and the clothes hanging out. And it's reflecting back the chaos in my mind. And as much as I tell myself, you know, Karina, life is messy. It can't be contained. And you know, you're going to make yourself miserable trying. I still try. And when I can't do it, the pit of anxiety in my gut stubbornly sets up camp and won't go away. And my breath becomes shallow or it stops altogether. And my jaw clenches Anxiety is just got to be one of the first worst human experiences because it just takes over, you know, it clouds everything and it immobilizes you in its fog. And despite intellectually knowing it's rooted in false stories and identities and beliefs, it still knocks me to my knees every single time because you just can't think your way out of anxiety. Nahama came home one day in, in afternoon, in the afternoon in April, this is my 15 year old and started burning trash. So I went outside with all my anxiety and I joined her and I imagined myself throwing resentment and fear and imposter syndrome, comparison, self-loathing, shame, self-criticism into the flames and just wishing that they would disintegrate as quickly and effortlessly as the pieces of paper and the cardboard that represented them. And typically with rituals like this, they help, but it doesn't, it's not a quick fix, but even so it always feels cathartic to just throw shit into a fire <laughs> as an Aries woman in particular. What I'm really, really thankful for, is my sisters on this path because I have finally cultivated a really strong sisterhood here on the farm and I have sisterhoods all over, but it's 
there's something about having a real live sisterhood in a little village where everyone is close by so you can just easily pop in and say hi or go for walks together it's just it's it's really like a more of an embodied experience of, of sisterhood and and we keep in touch every single day we have our text thread and we're constantly sharing our authentic selves and um, reflecting things back and providing support and so a few days after I was throwing stuff in the fire I spoke with my dear sister Taina who's who's not here she's in Minneapolis or St. Paul um, she's also known as Ty and she is extremely empathetic because she's traversed the murky waters of trauma and depression and anxiety herself and she said something to me that I didn't want to hear but I totally needed to hear and she said you're resisting and it's not helping this is where the fuck you are right now and accepting that can help it shift <laughs> so radical acceptance I really hate that shit but I knew she was right I was resisting because it fucking sucks and that was adding another layer of angst and anger and despair and you know I'm a chronic personal growth junkie I'm always trying to fix myself I can I'm a recovering perfectionist and I'm always trying to transform into the next best version of me so that I can understand the deeper meaning in the muck so anything but feel it anything but accept it because why would anyone want to accept feeling you know the feeling of not wanting to wake up every morning or the sense of impending doom that greeted me each day or the crushing monotony that's something that isn't talked about enough but monotony is is a real thing in motherhood and in parenthood in general you know and then there's the guilt of not feeling like I was able to be the mother I wanted to be to my daughters because I'm spinning in my head I'm caught up in all the dreadful what-ifs of the future or the regrets of the past and I'm unable to give my daughters the one thing the one thing that they want more than anything else which is my presence so how do I dis accept the disgust that I feel with myself I started to practice rain I can't remember how it came on my radar but as is so often the case it arrived in divine timing and rain is a Buddhist mindfulness practice it's an acronym for a process that we can use when we get triggered and we go unconscious whether that's with our children our partner or parents friends colleagues and rain helped it didn't take away the discomfort but it did help me realize the sort of like what what it gets what gets me the most and it's like all the little things that trigger me so it's getting dressed in the morning because all my clothes feel or are old and worn and I wear the same thing over and over because I'm stuck in financial anxiety and refuse to buy anything that's not food toilet paper or toothpaste <laughs> it's the making of meals because I'm sick of the same things over and over and uninspired about what to make especially when my littles are so damn picky because you know what's the point of putting effort into a great meal when you know it's not going to be appreciated or even eaten it's the constant messes the bills the laundry the caretaking 
So basically, motherhood is a trigger and sometimes it feels traumatic. And it feels really weird for me to say that out loud. Me, you know, the founder of Motherfly, a midwife for 25 years, mother of three daughters. But it's true. And I was validated in that feeling by my therapist during one of my ketamine treatments a couple weeks ago. And she said, you know, it makes sense that it would feel traumatic when you're not being supported in it. And this reminded me of something that Rochelle Garcia Saliga says that so resonates with me. She says, postpartum depression and anxiety are a normal response to a culture that's not supporting mothers. So I went to Knoxville a couple weeks ago on the recommendation of a friend and encouragement from many other guides in my life to work with the medicine of ketamine. And I just finished my last treatment about two weeks ago today. I'm going to share a lot more about ketamine in my next podcast episode, but I will say that when they say ketamine is like therapy on steroids, they aren't kidding. In the past week, I have uncovered, in the past, sorry, in the past, the two weeks that I was there, I uncovered so many deeply ingrained beliefs and patterns and the connections between them. And I processed multiple traumas in my life as well as ancestral and generational trauma. It was really big work and it took a lot of courage and it was exhausting, but so worth it. I feel a thousand times lighter. This medicine helps you to see the threads that weave together in all the parts of your life and to kind of pick up the pieces of yourself. And it actually grows new neural pathways in your brain. It's, it's really fascinating. I can't wait to share more um, on the next podcast, so stay tuned. But back to the trauma of motherhood. It feels traumatic because we've lost our villages and we were never meant to do this alone. Never, ever, ever. Aside from our social and emotional needs, even our physiology demands connection and support. You can actually die of loneliness. So for all of you mamas out there who might feel just a little twinge of trauma around motherhood, I just want to say you're not alone. I see you. I feel you. I'm with you sometimes. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad mother. It just means simply that you need and you deserve more support. One of the gems I got out of my last dip with the help of my wonderful therapist, Denise, was this new perspective on how to relate to what I will call my inner archetypes. So this is the orphan, the judge, the warrior, the creator, the caregiver, the magician and the priestess. She pointed out to me how active my judge gets when I hit a dip because I'm assuming that somehow I'm doing it wrong, I'm missing something, I'm just not getting it right, or that there's something inherently wrong with me and that's why I'm suffering. When in reality, every healer, leader, and truthfully, every human has slumps where old stories rear their ugly heads. So a more honest perspective and a more useful perspective is that our archetypes simply cannot believe any other story than the one that they have, the one that they live and embody. So when I or you or anyone hits a slump, what I call a dip, this 
the younger part of us takes the driver's seat. It may be the orphan or the judge or the victim or the wounded child, whatever you want to call it. When this happens to me, I hold myself 100% responsible for trying to get her to believe a different story, but she can't. So then my judge comes in and adds fuel to the fire. And that's why everything is so damn exhausting. Because imagine if your five-year-old had to juggle the tasks of mothering and adulting, it feels burdensome to have her in the driver's seat because she doesn't know how to drive. She doesn't have the capacity. So what I've learned is that it's not about quieting her or fixing her or getting her to believe something new or casting her out. It's about bringing in my other archetypes, my stronger resourced archetypes, my warrior, my caregiver, my creator, my priestess, the parts of me who hold stories of resilience and power, who hold stories of possibility and wisdom so that they can hold space for this wounded child. So that's what I wanted to share with you today and I hope that this helps. I hope that some part of my story resonates with you and serves you and um, provides some reassurance. And until next time, be well and be good to yourself. The Mother Tongue Podcast is written and produced by Karina Fitch with sound engineering and music made by Kronos 9.